hello, hello, listener. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. I'm breaking the fourth wall for this very special intro for Movie the Musical, a podcast about movies that have been turned into musicals. I am your reprehensible host, Ben K. <laughs> We're here to investigate, interrogate, and celebrate the art of adaptation from screen to stage. But I bet you knew that already, didn't you? We're a podcast that loves questions. And today's question is, what are your desert island all-time top five movies? Or, movies. Or, or musicals, whatever. You're, I'm, gi- the, I'm giving the panel the, the choice to pick. Um, <laughs> and also, I didn't tell anyone that I was doing that today. <laughs> so I apologize to One everyone. of the few that requires homework ahead of the time, mm-hmm, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so I apologize. Um, I'm, you know, yeah, so you can, you can say them now. You can think about them as we go through. Um, or top five, I don't know, top five anything. Just give a top five list. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. limit you. Yes, yes. Top five to- musical Tony Award performances. Sure. Whoa. Very specific Spring- and very good. Go ahead, go ahead. Spring Awakening 2007. Okay. Company 2006. Uh, actually, number one is Cynthia Erivo, I'm Here, Color Purple. Sure thing. Um, oh, yeah. Jennifer Holiday, and I'm telling you I'm not going. Of course, of course. And then number five with a bullet, most chaotic energy award famously goes to Alice Ripley, completely oh, disregarding the tempo of the Smash's <laughs> song, You Don't Know from Next Level. That's going to be very uh, applicable coming chaotic. up in a second. Yeah. Uh, Brand, do you have any top five lists that you can rattle off? Off the uh, top of your head? Uh, <laughs> no. Top five Haribo, top five Haribo gummies for my desert island um, would be probably like uh, fizzy cola number one, mm-hmm. um, fruit me- or fruit salad tied really Delish. close there. Uh, also love a a, um, a star mix because I like Ooh. a variety of textures. Uh, classic <laughs> sour bear. And number five with a bullet is the peach one. Peach rings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not rings. They're just little. They're cute oh, little. The they peaches. look like little butts. Never mind. Honey gummies specifically. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah, we gotta get it. Uh, all right. Top five movies. I'll say it. It's quickly, quickly. Ooh. And then we'll jump into this thing. Uh, top five movies. Number one, the Muppet movie. Um, oh. Always. Um, number two, Madeline's Madeline. Uh, number three, Fantastic Planet. Number four, Do the Right Thing. Mm. And number five with a bullet, Paddington Two. <laughs> yes, you gotta get that. Cute. Also in the Discord, you gotta get that bear <laughs> in that list. But we're not talking about bears today because, as it should be so obvious, uh, today's episode, of course, is about the. Well, it's about many things, but it's about the 2000 <laughs> film High Fidelity, directed by Stephen Frears. And its subsequent musical theater adaptation, the 2006 musical High Fidelity, with a book by David Lindsay A. Bear, back again in the hot seat of this podcast. Uh, DLA. uh, (laughs) Lyrics by Amanda Green and music by Tom Kitt. Uh, As always, our producer, Bran Moorhead, is here. Hello, Bran. Hi. We did it. We made it. And today's guest... 
I'm so excited that this wonderful person is here. Uh, one of my favorite playwrights, one of Chicago's, in my opinion, uh, one of Chicago's best playwrights, uh, huh? the brilliant <laughs> Beth Highland is here. Hi, Beth. Hi, Ben. <laughs> I'm very, um, very glad I begged you to be on the show. <laughs> so hello these many months ago. You did. You were. You practically were just like, can I can I be here? Can I? And I was like, yeah, obviously. At all. Yeah. No, and I'll I, say, I, and I'll, I I'm gonna say on the record for our listeners <laughs> that you know, being a person who works in theater uh, during a global Panera Bread uh, has <laughs> been uh, really terrible, um, <laughs> and. Uh, as I've sort of been having various existential crises and che- and having my own sort of reckoning with our industry and thinking that I'm losing my mind, uh, one of the people who's kind of kept me grounded and kept me sane has been Beth Highland. I want to say that on record. So, record. so thank you for keep, yeah keeping my brain in check and keeping me oh in check. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we're this in the Instagram stories DMs uh, <laughs> free, with with a frequency. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I lo- we love to see it. Um, so this is okay. This is a fascinating case today. I think uh, I was talking about High Fidelity, uh, which was originally a book by uh, Nick Hornby. Um, yes, it was adapted into a, a film uh, by the aforementioned Stephen Frears, and then it was. I almost pulled this episode. I almost did because the music. Well, because the musical is technically based on both and i was like okay well it's in the rights for this musical in the like the in the performance rights it says it's based on the touchstone pictures film um and the nick hornby book it is crediting because i mean there are characters in the book who do not make it to the film who do return in the stage adaptation so well like futon guy and Fu- stuff that's yes in the book. yeah exactly. well no the, the most pathetic man the in the entire man world the most yeah. pathetic sure. man in the world who uh, i feel like he's just not named as such in the movie but there's that guy who they're like no you can't buy this get out of here yeah. you suck but he's not sort of as explicitly <laughs> referred to with that name i believe no um, right but yeah so there's we, this is kind of a conversation that we've been uh it's come up a few times, I think, especially recently in our Little Shop of Horrors episode. Mm. Uh, just on a whim, it came up. Um, I wanted. Th- this is going to be a fun episode about arts, about bad people. That's sort of yes. what I'm really excited to dig into yes. in this episode. Yes. Sure. Um, like, because what is, like, I'm so. This is what I've been thinking about just watching this movie listening to this album of the show, reading the script for this show. And then I also this morning watched the first episode of the high fidelity TV show. Yeah. Um, and I've been sort of just thinking a lot and we, I feel like this is, this conversation always fucking happens. And I think it's just something to delve into. Uh, what happens when your uh, protagonist uh, is a piece of shit? Um, <laughs> what happens when your protagonist is kind of an asshole and how does that change when that character is an asshole in a movie and how does it change when that person is an asshole on stage? Cause yeah. I think there is a difference. And I think this is a really interesting yeah. uh, case study and what happens when you change that direct audience relationship with your really garbage uh, protagonist. Um, and so I'm really excited to get into, I was saying to brand kind of before recording, um, I don't know. I mean, we'll get, we'll obviously we'll dig into the plot of this thing. Um, but I'm kind of more interested in the theme of this episode. I'm kind of more interested in the thematic elements of high fidelity as a piece of intellectual property. Um, and not just with character, but also with location. 
because yeah. there's novel there's novels in london right the movies mm-hmm. the movies in chicago which i'm ex- obviously i feel all of us are probably excited to delve into yeah and then the mu- yeah. and then the music chicago baby chicago yeah. go bears etc they go to the music box i love it uh, yes. <laughs> and then the musical is in brooklyn um, right. but like, oh, it is. I didn't well, know if it was set anywhere or not. And I'm and that's I'm excited to delve into that. <laughs> okay. The fact that like it's set in Brooklyn, but it's such like there is no character to its location. Nothing. I mean, yeah. there's. I mean, again, like I'm not gonna bury the lead. I personally think the musical is kind of a nothing burger of a thing. I think it's like I don't I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's good. I think it just exists. Uh, I want to quickly. This is kind of a. Uh, in reference to like a, I'm kind of going all over the place Because this musical goes all over the place But we're yeah. going to get back to the movie in a second yeah. um, But this is kind of a uh, Oh the worst person in the world Said something correct uh, I'm, and this is, uh, <laughs> Yeah the audience article yes Yes well, yeah, But yeah. this is this is kind of a this uh, uh, Ben Brantley uh, No longer New York Times critic uh, Reviewed the show when it opened on Broadway Um and yeah, again, sort of like, oh, the worst person you know said something right. Um, heartbreaking. It really, it heartbreaking. is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking exclamation point. Um, <laughs> I just want to quickly read just sort of a, a snippet of his review of the show. If you've been a diehard patron, uh, quote, if you've been a diehard patron of Broadway over the last decade, you've probably noticed something, you've probably noticed that something weird happens to figures from books and movies when they enter the land of musicals. The rough edges and prickly prickly quirks that made them distinctive soften into a uniform blandness. The sad inference to be drawn from this reversal is that Broadway producers feel that the average theatergoer's appetite for originality is well below that of film and television watchers. Um, So that's the first first thing to say. Um, And then similarly, um, so that's number one. Number two... Of course, from the same Bed Brantley quote, of course, High Fidelity presents a special problem to those who would convert it into a musical. How could any composer aiming for a mainstream audience hope to come up with a score that could pass muster with its own cool, conscious, musically exacting characters? Uh, Tom Kitt, who has worked on... Okay, so this was not his Broadway debut, Tom Kitt, who's worked on... uh, He was one of the many composers on Urban Cowboy... And he, uh, oh, sure. and I guess he also did Debbie Does Dallas. Debbie Does Dallas. Another, mm-hmm. another yes. upcoming musical. A smash. <laughs> um, uh, he has responded by throwing a lot of watered down pop and rock elements into a pot and hoping they congeal. As a consequence, the song, <laughs> the songs never acquire body or precision, even <laughs> as satire. So we'll dig into those are just sort of uh, those are just sort of some pins to to throw in there. And we'll get back to those as soon as we get into musical talk. But let's talk about high fidelity just as a as a thing. Uh, so Beth, obviously, with all of our guests, I I rarely have ever asked them to cover something specifically. I usually give you all a list of sort of what is interesting right now. And then you, you take your pick. So what was it about high fidelity that you were like, I got, I got to talk about this. Yes. So, okay. So I, I was glancingly familiar with high fidelity starting in high school. I read part of the book. I want to say half of the book in high school, loved it. It was my older cousins. He 
is a white guy born in 1985 who was really into alternative rock. So he like had his like government issued copy of it. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and I really liked it. And then, and I have always thought that John Cusack is like an absolute like dreamboat hunk extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. I loved him. It was like one of those movies that was on cable a lot. Like I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then a couple years, so the, but the first way that I encountered it actually in its totality was the musical a couple of years ago. I saw a production. Mm-hmm. One of my friends worked on. I I went in being like, I love musicals. A, I've written a rock musical, and I you love have. them. Yes, and I love them. I, my friend who I love is working on the show. Uh, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait. And <laughs> I was so offended by the show. On so many acts, in kind of a like almost like a bracing way, like it, yeah. it, it, it is that brand of like mid aughts, like family guy, disgusting, sexist, like racist humor that is so blatant and in your face that like it's, I feel like it's rarer to see that anymore. So I will say that it was a BYOB presentation. And cool. I think by the end helps it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but and I think that the the flip side was that by the end, I think my friends were like, Beth needs to leave the theater or she is gonna start heckling. <laughs> like be, again, not because of the production. The production was fantastic. Yeah. The production was fantastic. It was like the script just I was so ups I was so upset by it in a way that I was completely shocked by. And so yeah. then I I almost wish, just like I wish I could have seen. Actually, now I don't give a shit, but I used to say that I wish I had seen Woody Allen's movies before I knew that he is a a rapist and a pedophile and a disgusting monster from hell. Um, But I so similarly, I kind of wish I could have seen the movie before I saw the musical because I think I I think some of those or a lot of those uh, feelings were kind of traveling with me. But I basically was doing like a podcast without my friends input or consent with them after seeing high fidelity the musical so i was like what an incredible opportunity for me to do a podcast with someone who wants to do one and talk about it so that that is perfect why. yes i completely fair. i will say so i and god and again this musical was a flop this musical yes, was an Piano. absolute flop it closed yes. off the 13 performances. Youch. Barely played a month. It wasn't even 9-11 either. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so many shows closed like exactly 13 performances right after 9-11. They didn't even have that as an excuse. No, no this was this was December 2006. <laughs> this was it before the financial crisis. Broadway was booming. Damn. Yeah, Damn. yeah no, this absolutely um and yeah we'll delve into the state show later but yeah so uh hi but yes i did i similarly uh was in a same place of like i knew i never watched the movie until i watched it this weekend uh to prep for this episode yeah, um same. and i've never read the book by nick hornby and i i will apologize to the hornby heads out there who <laughs> i i unfortunately did not get a chance to read the book um, so I will I will not be able to bring that knowledge into this episode so sorry my heart goes out to you, um, but it's, it's it's gonna be okay. I promise. Um, I think. Right. Um, but I I I will say. I mean, I 
I do think there's something fascinating going on with this movie. I know two very good friends who've referred to this like as their comfort movie, and I can absolutely see why. Sure. It's such totally. There's it's such an easy watch for a movie that is like close to the t- the two hour mark. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, like it feel it moves with such. And that's sort of like why I didn't really wanna don't want to do like a whole sort of like plot synopsis. I feel like it is such an easy flowing film. Like it just sort of like moves from one scene to the other with such ease. Um, and I think a lot of that is sort of just like helped by, I mean, so this was like a John, for the most part, this was like a John Cusack passion project. Yeah. Like he, I believe he produced this. I believe he, he has a screenwriting. Yeah, exactly. I believe he, yeah. yeah. I mean this, this, there are so many writers on this thing. Um, yeah. yeah, blank, blank, and John Cusack, and somebody else. Yeah, so there was uh, DV uh, Devinson, DV Devincentis. Uh, it's a beautiful last name that I butchered. I'm so sorry. Um, but yes, uh, so the so DV and Steve Pink uh, adapted the book, and then uh, Cusack came in and yeah. Uh, r- took another stab at it uh, with Scott and Scott Rosenberg. Four credited writers on this thing. Um, Nick and Nick Hornby loves the film. Um, I believe he's on record saying like, oh, it's like practically just John Cusack narrating my book. Um, And it feels like that. Right. And I like, because I know like direct address can be, especially in film. It's so wild that like, I think about it. I'm like, I actually find the direct address in the film less grating than it does on stage, which feels fascinating, which is fascinating because I think of like theater as the medium that should be more intimate with the audience and more directly addressing that relationship. But I find it, and maybe it's just the dialogue, right? Maybe it's just the actual dialogue that's so much more grating. I feel like the the screenplay at least has some grace, has some charm. Oh, it's, yeah, I think it's an, I think it's an excellent screenplay. Yeah, absolutely. Even if they're all despicable, like it's a very good screenplay. Yes. Uh, and yeah, we'll get, delve into that in just a second. Uh, and yeah, I think John Cusack, I mean, you can even just tell from his performance, he's so invested in this. He's, I mean, he's giving a Nicolas Cage level performance in this movie. Like I was, yeah. I was getting such Cage vibes from him. He's that's very good. He's a, I didn't think of that. He's a live wire in this thing, um, and it's maybe maybe it's his best performance. I would venture to there. say. I would. Yeah. I don't know. He's just like so. It, it's like he's been waiting to play this role his whole life. The sort of like. Chicago based like bum of a human being mm-hmm. just making his way through the world. Um, but yeah. And so, and so yeah, so it's all uh, directed by, uh, so yeah, again, the journey of this thing. So it's, it's directed by Stephen Frears who is British himself, but obviously oh. the Cusack of it, the Cusack of it all was like, we got to move to Chicago. We got to move it to a place that I'm familiar with that we can like really invest some character in. And I mean, and it does feel like a Chicago movie. which i mean like i'm not saying that we are wants for more representation in media but it is nice i mean i feel like new york and la are off so saturated in sort of their representation in film it is always nice to see a chicago movie um especially one and they love setting stuff here and not filming it with the the exception of like the dick wolf shows yeah like there's so what was the thing that was just said in Logan Square that was clearly filmed in oh, like Toronto? Toronto right. <laughs> well, that was wasn't like the Christmas. Okay, no, the most. Agree- yeah, that Christmas thing. 
<laughs> or like the princess switch or something. That's my grandma oh, handle. Yes, yes, yes. She wears she wears a hat that says Chicago <laughs> yes, on it. Right. Oh my god! No. If, so, if you live here, you gotta get. Yeah, you gotta get a Chicago hat, one hundred percent. No, so the most egregious example of this is uh, the the Christmas Prince, the first film. Yeah, um, which is clearly set in New York, and there's like a bunch of B roll of uh, New York, and then right before you like go like into the building, like the final establishing shot B roll footage is clearly uh, Chicago. It's a, it's like, the, like it's the, the bridge. Beam. It's no, it's the bridge connecting uh, Magnificent Mile to the Loop. Oh, um, oh, sure. And it's like got all of those Chicago flags on it, oh and it like zooms God. up. No. And like every other shot is New York, and it's like, what the fuck happened here? It's absolutely egregious. So I would, but no. So like this film where you have shots where it's like, oh yeah, that's Wicker. Oh yeah, that's where like that's the blue line. Um, And and like there's like one shot where I think he's like, I think it's him leaving uh, someone's apartment. I forget, but it's so like clearly one of those like beautiful like Chicago apartments where it's like it's got the little Mm -hmm. alcove that you come out of. It's like I, I for me that's just like oh you clearly made this movie in the city. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I appreciate that. Yes. Well, his store is at 1500 North Milwaukee. It's, it's at well, Milwaukee and Honoré. Yes. You, know you know what's there now? Uh, a Native Foods on one corner. There's a shoe, a like sneakerhead store on one of the other corners, <laughs> a sweet green, and an insanely expensive bike cafe place called like Rapka or something. <laughs> nice. is it not- and a Jenny's. Yeah, I, was gonna say, a I, Jenny. think the, I think the store is the Jenny's. Well, the corner is that sneaker place, but oh, Jenny's okay. is probably, probably it was two things as big as his record store yeah. looks to be, you know? <laughs> Gosh, Bizarre. we love the double door too, which is yeah. R.I.P. Double door, one of the coolest uh, venues in the city. Yeah, we love. It's wild. a Yeti cooler store now. We truly love, in air quotes, the gentrification of Wicker Park. It's just a, a wonderful sight to see. I sound two hundred years old saying all this, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, this is from two. I mean, it's so wild because right, like this was made in like ninety nine or two thousand. Yeah. It was released in two thousand, obviously, and it's but it's like yeah, like. A lot of these changes have only happened within, what, like the last three to five years, if that. Wicker's been pretty wild for a while, but like some of that stuff has really amped up in the last five for sure. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we love it. We love a Chicago movie. Um, But yeah, Stephen Frears, uh, very, I mean, this was his sort of like, I would say his like American breakout film. I mean, Mm. he... He previously did direct uh, Dangerous Liaisons, uh, of course, everyone's favorite, uh, with Glenn Close and John Malkovich. Uh, he did direct a film called uh, The Grifters, uh, which which also had John Cusack in it. Uh, it was John Cusack, Angelica Houston, and Annette Bening, uh, which he received a Best Director uh, Oscar nomination for. Um, and he he's, you know, he's... He's he's got a good eye. He's a he's got a good eye. He's got a really eclectic filmography. If you look at like other stuff he's done, he directed uh, the Queen. Everyone everyone's favorite movie oh. about the Queen of England. <laughs> uh, uh, That's the queen. Oh, that Queen. Yes, uh, yeah, yes, yes, Brian. That Queen. Um, he directed uh, Philomena. Everyone, what if what if Philomena? You know, remember Philomena? Nope. He got a Best Picture nomination. Philomena. Oh, cool. <laughs> um. 
Mrs. Henderson presents, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, oh, sure. You know, movies. Uh, yeah. Those are all movies. <laughs> they're, they're all movies. They're no all over the place. I, he, he makes a picture. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, and then... Uh, this is also like Jack Black in one of his like uh, early early first, roles. Yeah. I mean, he was. I mean, he was in like Never Ending Story Part Three yeah. as like a bully. But I feel like this is like this is like him like warming up for School of Rock, right? This oh is sort gosh. of like uh... he doesn't quite say Rigagugu, but like he's real close a couple times. <laughs> oh, I was just thinking yeah. today about how how much it reminds me. Like it, it's such a special moment in a movie when the exact right role and the exact right actor like meet for their breakout mm-hmm. it reminds me actually i was trying and then i was thinking about that because like there's just such like an electricity and such a like spark and joy every time jack black is on screen and i was trying to think of another example and i realized it reminded me so much of melissa mccarthy in bridesmaids like that was sure. another oh yeah when you, when you just in a comedy when you're just like okay that's a star that's a huge star that's like yeah. a new mm-hmm. type of comedian like oh it just it was it was so special and fun to see young jack black just like kind of like fully formed springing from god's head like <laughs> athena like into <laughs> comedian yeah, no, he... stardom <laughs> yeah no he's he's thriving in this film yes. absolutely yeah he is so comfortable in yes. the world of this movie. Um, so yeah, it's all just like the general, the general like story of this thing is that Rob is uh, is a conceited jerk who owns a record store in Wicker Park, um, who's just been broken up with by his uh, girlfriend, uh, Laura, played by uh, the wonderful Danish actor, uh, yes, uh, Iben. Uh, I should have done my research and figured out how to pronounce her surname, um, there are two J's uh, in it. Hiben uh, Hijajdler is the is what I'm gonna take my stab at. I've embarrassed myself. I've embarrassed uh, <laughs> this this brand, this podcast, no, no. and I no, apologize. No, no, no. Um, I'll call her. The it, Danish are fine. The yeah, Danish, she's, she's okay. She's okay. <laughs> she and it's. I mean. I think her accent wavers again. I'm I, I'm not one to talk. I can do a terrible American accent. Um, but I mean, she I, I think she actually gives a lovely performance. Um, I don't know if she's supposed to be Danish in the film, uh, but whatever. She's she's very nice. She's very good. Um, yes. And yeah. So yeah. So Laura breaks up with Rob, and it's essentially sort of just like almost this like episodic, just like journey through him reckoning with having uh gone through this uh, breakup and just him looking back at his past romantic relationships um both like within his own head and then him later taking these actionable steps to actually meet up with these women to be like hey so like what happened um it it is kind of like a hangout movie it does kind of have these like hangout vibes Mm -hmm. of just like hanging out with him at the record store hanging out with him like talking with his friend liz played by his sister joan cusack (laughs) Um, oh my god so funny hey just normal friend (laughs) (laughs) i I I feel like i noticed i might be projecting this but i feel like i noticed in their scenes in the scenes between John and Joan Cusack, that John Cusack would get like kind of extra, like animated and almost like activated in the way that you sure. can with your sibling. It would be like, shut up, my friend Liz, who's just my regular friend. Oh, like, I loved that. I mean, it's wonderful that they like they clearly have such a 
a tight relationship as siblings that they're able to like because that what other films are they in together because i feel like oh no 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 she's not he's not in school of rock shoot but yeah there are other ones for sure they they work together a lot i don't know there's a couple at least I mean, like, good, good again, good, good on them for good just on having them, such really. a, yeah, yeah, born in Evanston, Evanston, yeah, yes. Ev- the Evanston Cusacks. Um, Go Wild Kids. <laughs> My partner um, is from Evanston, so he he was thrilled to be watching a John Cusack movie. Perfect. Oh, uh, but yeah, and then you like check in with like Laura, who's now with this uh, new boyfriend Ian, uh, played by Tim Robbins with a ponytail. Uh, this is very. Very good, very fun. Um, uh, and yeah, we we and yeah, he yeah, like his past girlfriends. Uh, of course, I feel like the most prominent is this woman Charlie, played by Catherine Zeta Jones, uh, who utterly breaks his heart. Um, in in a way that only Ch- uh, Catherine Zeta Jones could. <laughs> True. Um, but also, yeah. So let, and and then yeah, he meets this uh, singer. Uh, what uh Marie de Salle played by Lisa Bonet, who's really wonderful in this film. Yeah, um, incredible. Really, really good. Um it's wild how much Zoe Kravitz looks like her. Oh my god. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, I know it's her daughter, but like it's still like <laughs> twin. It's twin. nuts. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I will say, I will say, just like because that they'll come up at some point. Um yeah, I I watched yeah, I, I said I watched the first episode of the of the TV show. Um and I I'm, I'm curious to watch more. Um cuz I mean, yeah, like I said because it is such a hangout show, I could see it uh, hangout movie rather. I could see it living as a TV series. Like I that isn't a huge leap for me. Like it does have that kind of just like I mean, even just yeah, again, the film even has an episodic vibe to it. Like yeah. going from girl yeah. partner to partner, from scenario to scenario. Um but yeah, so let's let's talk about Rob Gordon. Let's talk about this guy. Um, he he, you know, he's one of those guys who loves music and and obviously that is like that's his personality. Like he like him and his like uh, silly his silly friends Barry played by the aforementioned uh, Jack Black, uh, Dick played by uh, Todd Luizzo, who's very funny. Also great, yes. Also so very good, yes. Yes, he's, again, like, it's, it's always, I mean, yeah, you have this, like, it's, it's, I feel like it's, like, a classic comedic trio, right, where you sort of, you have uh, Rob as the sort of the anchor, the straight man, if you will, of the group. You have Barry, who is the wildfire uh, chaos character, and then you have uh, Dick, who's sort of the meeker, kinder character, and they're, yeah, so all of those energies are very fun, and they work uh, uh, in, a really, in a really fun way together. Um, but yeah, they all, they all love music and it's that kind of, it's that kind of, uh, again, very sort of, uh, masculine way of loving something where you are very pretentious about it. You are very, what you talk about all of the things you, you judge other people's tastes. Yeah. Right. There's the guy, uh, who come, the dad who comes into the store. Um, what, what is he looking for? Is it, is it the uh, new, is it the new Bell and Sebastian? Or is that, that co- oh, they're already listening to that. God, and he He's hates it. For, I just called to say "I love you" by Stevie Wonder for his daughter yes. for her birthday. Yes. Yes, and he's like, well, I'm not going to sell it to you because I think it's, you can go to Coconuts if you want to get that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's like, do you even know your daughter? She doesn't like that crap. <laughs> right. And yeah, so yeah, they're the type of people who will even uh, lose customers for the sake of. You know the their own arts, their own uh, their own right. purpose. 
a very uh, very like a very very like gen stereotypically gen x uh worldview yeah. and vibe and values yeah. like i was thinking about that when i also watched the pilot of the high fidelity tv show that came out this year and the shift between like the, the like commonality between gen x and millennials of like making uh as they say which i think is a great line uh what you uh it doesn't matter what you're like it matters what you like uh mm. making <laughs> making making what you like into a personality into your personality yeah. um and the difference between so that i think that like is true of both gen x and millennials obviously all of this stereotypically but with gen x it feels like and specifically with this type of like white cis dude mm-hmm. there was this um this obsession with authenticity and knowing the most and being the having basically being like the keeper and the owner of like the most obscure and therefore like most authentic like knowledge Mm -hmm. whereas then like millennials still have some of that thing but it's like i'm a hufflepuff like which i think is like (laughs) i really see that shift um generationally which i think is really interesting yeah, I mean, he's like the ultimate hipster, yeah. right? Because he knew it first. He knows it better. His opinions are better than yours, and that's all that matters. Yeah. I mean, he even says at one point, like, when he's, I think it's when he's with Catherine Zeta-Jones, and he does the address of, like, she's awful. I hate her. She's an idiot. All her her friends are have a bad opinions and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't care that they're rich. I'm not a class warrior or anything, but I just, <laughs> you know, I think it's just boring and stupid. And like, man, you're just like, you suck. You're a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> no. he, is, he is a piece of shit. He fucking organizes his records autobiographically. It's like, <laughs> yeah, incredible. Shut, insane. shut the fuck Go up. Go to therapy, dude. <laughs> Truly. Like, that's great. That's the way not that, good. The way that he like um the the i feel like the impact of like the book and the movie is is even bigger than i kind of originally imagined like i feel yeah. like the joke that people will make on twitter where they're like oh you love your dad name five of his albums like that joke is like high fidelity <laughs> like the thing like yeah. the thing of uh and the like this is really kind of obvious but the like i feel like nick hornby it's almost like a documentary about that type of guy like of like the need to list to relate to everything by listing and categorizing and and quizzing and like who possesses the most knowledge whose knowledge is the most esoteric like who can rattle it off the quickest and then yeah yeah well uh, this is something that we see in i always hate bringing this up but it's it is true it's something that comes up in comic book culture Right. It's sure, like, oh, absolutely. like, oh, oh, you would know this if you read <sighs> uh, like Doctor Strange issue uh, 263, where this thing happened and this thing happened and this thing happened. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a gatekeeping of culture in a way that just isn't productive, uh, no, isn't no, uh, pedantic and lame. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and you, I feel like you really see you see the worst parts of that dynamic in in the movie and in the musical, too in the way that there is always an assumption that any woman, no matter who she is, knows less about music yeah. than any of the guys. Oh, and for needs, sure. needs to be taught, needs to be educated, period. And like, yeah, that that's something that is both certainly true of that type of guy. So it is accurate, but it is also for me as a woman and as a woman who is super into music in high school it's like oh god oh help it's like very painful to no absolutely 
Well, and it's this is one other one of the things, and this is I I did I mentioned this jokingly earlier, but this is a pre nine eleven property, and I think along with a lot of things, especially from the year like ninety nine and two thousand, that weren't sci fi and looking at post apocalyptic sort of situations, are all about like that Western individualism and the end result of it just being pure ennui and lack of any direction. Like it's mm. sort of the same underlying motivating factor of like American beauty mm-hmm. where I have nothing to worry about except for the fact that I don't even have a personality or anything except for like being attracted to my daughter's friend in that movie. <laughs> and then in this movie, like hating everybody's music choices except for my own yeah. and like being up my own ass about the records that I've, I've bought and, and listing out my girlfriend's breakups, you know? <laughs> well, totally. it's, okay. It's a few, a few points. So number one, and it's also uh, number one, it's an interesting thing about like Rob and also like this type of character where, and this is, I mean, this is a mentality you see a lot, especially with men where it's like, um, Caring about something means that, like, you suck, right? It's like, oh, like, it sucks that you care about a thing. But it's like, you know, like, Rob is like, oh, I don't care about Laura. But he's, like, in the rain calling her, like, ten times a night. It's like this thing of, like, um, you present this image of, like, you not caring about anything when you clearly have these insecurities that you just, like, need to actually work through and actually need to interrogate and need to actually... uh, acknowledge um so there's that thing uh number two and we we bring this up on the uh, a few weeks ago on our little shop of horrors episode we uh mentioned this uh you know talking about like uh, art as representation and art not being like endorsement in art right it's like we this came up when we were sort of we had an aside about Martin Scorsese and his uh, filmography <laughs> yeah. um and so right that's sort of the thing right it's like so you have this character of Rob who is kind of reprehensible who is very sexist who is who has these larger issues um that he's working through and again like and also like the the film rewards him he like he comes up on t- like he learns yeah. he learns things obviously like he learns some stuff about himself and the way that he handled these relationships and the way that these relation his like top five like all time breakups were not the way that he originally perceived them absolutely um, but I know it's it's always just such an interesting line about like because I I agree as we discussed a few weeks ago like. Like representation does not always mean endorsement, right? No. Like that. Sure. I mean, he, like he doesn't he like even like fucking say that like near the top of the movie. He's like, oh, like you know, we always blame violence on video games and stuff. But right. what about like the songs that we make about heartbreak and loss? Yeah. Like, right. like and, and I'm like, yeah, my dude, yeah, fucking deep. <sighs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you got it, brother. <laughs> but no, I think that's, but I think that's just something interesting. And obviously, there's always nuance to this, right? There's no fucking like yes or no answer. I just think right, it's like totally. interesting to dig into. And yeah. I, I don't want to again, even in our lovely podcast about questions, I'm not expecting us to come to an answer about this. I think it's just no. a fascinating can of worms that Beth, sort of, you alluded to. Um, mm-hmm. We're still reckoning with to this day. Like, there are so many Rob Gordons in the world who are sort of uh, dictating the... Co- who have who have grown up and now are in charge of dictating the movies and the culture that are part of the world these days. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Have you seen... Have either of you seen the episode of Documentary Now 
that is a spoof of um, Swimming to Cambodia by Spalding Gray. Absolutely, yes. It's, I haven't okay. seen that one. It's okay, so, so it's, funny. it's written by the love of my life, Emma Laney and Bill Hader. And Bill Hader is playing this, this monologue-ist character like Spalding Gray, who is doing this very kind of stereotypical Upper West Side white sort of wealthy guy narrative about potentially having to move out of his apartment because it's actually very relevant to High Fidelity because a stereo city music uh, center <laughs> is going to move in. So what I am obsessed with about that piece of art and what it, how it related to High Fidelity for me is that Spalding Gray is, the mon- is giving this monologue and, he, and he's like incredibly compelling and he's completely in his perspective. And then like every couple minutes, we break away from his perspective. And one of the people he said he was talking to tells us what actually happened. And we learn how insane and like completely mm-hmm. off base and made up this like purporting to be true monologue is. So like for like, like Bill Hader as Spalding Gray will say that he like had an interaction with a with a teenager and then he'll say like and he walked away rolling a tire and then like a teen- <laughs> the teenager will come and be like uh i didn't say gee mister and i didn't roll so that was actually like, if, if you were gonna hand the movie high fidelity to me beth highland which no one would but if you were going to the way that i feel like i would get a hundred percent on board with it and love it is that i wish is that i wish is that i okay so ben you and i have talked about this kind of at length in relate in relation to a lot of other works of art. This is so challenging for me because I am on record on Twitter even as saying that art does not need to be morally instructive. I've already seen mm-hmm. Veggie Tales. We don't need that. Like, <laughs> but, but then I watch this movie, not as much the movie, but the movie a little bit too. And I get upset because it feels so sexist to me. Yeah. So, but then I'm also like, but Beth, what the hell is wrong with you? Like the Sopranos is like your favorite work of art. Like those men are disgustingly sexist, racist, the even more hideous people than fucking Rob Gordon by like an order of magnitude, right? But so what I wish it was the case is that we see Rob's sexism and myopia and his, and, and his incredibly like kind of immature uh, uh, view of the world, mm-hmm. but then that the movie had a view of the world that did not feel so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's, or even like, yeah. yeah. Or even like uh, not necessarily consequences. Cause I do think there is a point where he's like, he uh, he addresses the fact he's like oh this is all fantasy you know and i'm and you're not a fantasy in the worst wedding proposal of all time oh uh, he, but but i don't feel like there's any real like reckoning or consequence whereas in the sopranos i would argue that like the big message of the sopranos is there are only two ways out and it is death or prison and usually it's death and like and and that's the ultimate price they pay for their despicableness but in this there's like you know, they get together because she's also like sick of fighting and tired, too tired, as she says. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's just if there were some little bit more consequences or even acknowledging from on the part of the movie, yeah, right. I think the, it would be work. The, the thing that, like, something that I wish so much, I, I truly feel like the biggest issue is that none of the women in the Maybe Joan Cusack a little bit, but the women essentially in the movie do not feel recognizable as human beings to me. Sure, I am like sure. I don't, I don't know her. I've never met her. I like, yep. like, and there's it, it's there's such kind of like 
bland, like gorgeous runway models who like spout platitudes about the need to grow up, right? Whereas the men are so real. I'm like, I know who that is. I've met him. I've worked with him. But the women are just these kind of like beautiful like shadows. And if I could just see Mm -hmm. more of their humanity, I would be on board with the movie, I think. like Absolutely. And the musical. I think so. Yeah, and I think even to just to distill it even more specifically, and I think it's just, again, just, like, sort of highlighting something that's already been said, um, right? Like, the movie is in Rob's world. Like, yes. the movie is yes. from Rob's perspective. It is, like, sure. his presentation. I mean, and, and, like, obviously, like, I see, like, the moments that, there are obviously the moments where he, like, has these, like, he revisits the girlfriends and there's sort of a little bit of a larger perspective um but yeah i mean like again to bring in a, a, an example that we've we've brought up already like something like like taxi driver where travis bickle is a despicable human but like the i feel like the vantage point of taxi driver of martin scorsese's taxi driver is the world and travis bickle lives in it the movie yes. right. is not right, right, travis right, right. bickle's world right. Right. um so right i think that's sort of what it is right it's like if you're i think it is totally fine to have a character who is kind of reprehensible but like even as your leading character but it's like we got to see the world around them we got to yes. see the world yes. yeah. through other eyes yes um because yeah. yeah but you're because yeah you're right we like every play every movie should not be fucking veggie tales we should not like <laughs> like the world is fucking like, and the moral of the story mm-hmm. right yeah we don't yeah. need that no yeah no like people are complicated people are like not People learn, people grow, people are challenging, people are not your fucking, like, ideologues of, like, uh, like, utopia. Like, there is, there's complexity in the world. Um, but yes, but that being said, like, yeah, it sucks when your fucking movie is from the vantage point of someone who clearly has a not great relationship with women. Yes, and that, and that for the movie to be worth watching you ha- you have to root for him and they also yeah. make it even e- and you can root you can absolutely root for a character and think they're an asshole at the same time you can do both yeah. of those things but yeah that that's something i think that the um direct address is so i well i was thinking of fleabag like i was like sure. oh my gosh like how it, it's so that it it, it feels like a this wild feminist ancestor or not ancestor like uh, child progeny of of high fidelity because that is an incredible way of telling a story about someone who's a little bit like disgusting or, or yeah. uh terrible is that if you create that intimacy and especially when it's someone as charming and as much of a movie star as john cusack you kind of can't help but start rooting for them like it just is like that that intimate and that feels to me it's so weird that like what you said ben was so right about how how is it that that doesn't work as well in the play in the musical but do you think that part of it is that like is how is how literally close you're able to get to like john cusack's like face in film like i wonder what it is maybe i mean i i mean i think it's that I think it is also just that the dialogue is better. I like yeah. I legit think that's just such a huge part of it. I just yes. think it's a better script. Yeah. Uh and just that like it is yeah. the the, <laughs> the 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 musical script is just so broad 
and yes. so like yes. obvious in yes. in what it is doing in such a way that is so unhelpful. Um, speaking to sort of what you were saying, I think, and again, I, I'm curious to watch more episodes of it, but I feel like that's what the high fidelity like Hulu TV show is, right? It feels like sort of a a more feminist reclamation of this narrative to sort of be like, what happens when we actually take this out of a misogy- of a misogynist's brain and stick it into the world? Uh, <laughs> Of, of Zoe Kravitz as as the Rob character. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm excited to sort of delve more into the show and sort yeah. of see, see how it tackles what happens when you change the dynamics of who this character literally is. Um, yeah, because there can I, also be... Oh, sorry, Ben. There can no. also be something... I have found myself really frustrated with quote-unquote gender swap, like that like reductive and incorrect sure. terminology yes. that was like gender... Sw- to, to use that, that term... I I've been frustrated both by the idea that like that's something that women like th- there's this assumption kind of that doesn't go both ways that oh of course like uh women want to be inserted into this story that's about masculinity and men like of course you would want to do that because it's so cool like that I feel like that's what like women Ghostbusters and women like Ocean's Eight like those two things whereas I've never seen men be like oh my god like we need to do groomsmen like get us in like please but like and there well, that was that was that well that was that fucking that was almost like an all-female glen gary glen ross do you remember this that was a thing a female please. reclamation of the wonderful glen gabby glen ross <laughs> glenna gabby glen and rose the our, our four gals Oh my God, Glengarry Girl Boss! You're welcome. Hey, oh, gosh, nice. I just, I just hear the fuck, I hear the fucking Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song in my head right now. Oh my God! Yeah, but like you fix, hey, hey Beth, Beth Highland, you say you fixed, you fixed Broadway. Yay! <laughs> you fixed You're welcome, it, Scott. You're welcome. Glengarry Girl Boss would be like such a good drag event. <laughs> Oh man, oh. we gotta do this now. We gotta okay, patent we're in, this. We're in. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I got us way off track. No, nope. you're fine. You're fine. We love we love a good digression. Um, I don't know. Yeah, other. Uh, I'm trying to think of just other stuff from the movie. I do. Okay. Tim Robbins. Yeah, I was I was literally about to say. I like I do like the Tim Robbins scene where he again they they kind of ruin this in the musical. The scene where Ooh. where he goes Ooh. to like confront. Not good. Well, oh, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot about the Ian character they ruin in the musical. I'm talking about one of the the lesser examples of ruining the character, where he goes to the record store. The whole like you know conflict. Oh, the imagined. Yeah, yeah. The conflict resolution is my job, and you sort of have these imagined scenarios of like John Cusack confronting like oh the thing I I wish I could like get my friends to beat you up and throw an AC unit on you, uh, or 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 throw a boombox on him. Yeah, Uh, I think I yeah it's it felt very smash him with an AC unit. Yeah, Yeah, it felt it felt very office space. To me, it yeah. felt very yeah. uh, that yeah. scene, um, and yeah. they completely fucking uh, ruin it uh, in the <laughs> show. Um, but I, and I, I, it's actually an idea that could work well on stage. So it is sad that they ruin it. Um, yes. But yeah, so that that's a fun scene. Um, yeah, it's so, and again, it's so weird that like their their relationship is saved by like Laura's dad dies, and then they sort of like get back together, uh, yes. like through him, like. I get she like 
I feel like she doesn't have a lot of agency in this film, and it kind of no. fucking sucks. No, yeah. although I will say, actually, one of the only moments when Laura felt like a real human being to me actually is the moment in the car when she says, like, hey, like, we're going to have sex now, like, because I need to. Yeah, sure. That was, like, that actually, like, struck me as a really, like, I've, like, wondered when, like, this is, like, goofy, but I I feel like, especially between the book and the musical, it feels like Nick Hornby is, like, such a keen observer of a certain type of person, and, like, so much of, so much of that specificity gets, like, completely lost. Um. But yeah, like that specific little observation just felt so beautiful to me. I've also wondered, this is like, I, I have no idea if you have any thoughts on this or know it at all. Like, do you do you feel any like Britishness like in the, mo- like peeking its little head out, like in the movie or in the musical? Or like, is that, I know that's like a kind of a stupid question to ask, but I've just been wondering that. For sure. Um, number one, it is a stupid question. Uh, I'll just say that. I'll just say. Uh, listeners at home, Beth just gave me uh, the middle finger. Uh, can't prove that. Can't prove that. <laughs> this is an audio medium. You're right. You can't yeah. prove that. Um, no. And I th- and that's kind of what I love about the movie, honestly. And uh, well, the musical will get to sort of its complete yeah. lack of uh, setting and character in a second. Yes. Uh, but I kind of love that about the film, uh, that it feels, like, again, like, not that the Britishness was taken out, but it just feels like they've just, like, completely moved this thing to Chicago. And, and Chicago sure. just feels so centric to this version of the story and just this version of these characters. Um it, right to that final uh, double door performance of Jack Black yes. scene, let's get it on. Uh, oh. Just a beautiful, lovely what a moment. moment. Yeah, I, I was I was saying to J- to Jake that like I felt like at the time people watching that who didn't who had no knowledge of Jack Black must have thought that he was being dubbed because he sounds so. Yeah, he sounds great. Good. Jack Black. Yeah. This is, uh, in my opinion, this is a pro Jack Black podcast. I, oh I my love God. him. Oh. I like Jack Black too. Hell pro, yeah. pro, pro. Oh my God. That, I mean, that we'll, moment we'll, is. We'll, we'll wait to we'll wait to deep dive whenever we get to our School of Rock episode. The School of but... Rock. Sure. Exa- oh my God. But no, that moment is so joyous and perfect. Just like an incredible. I feel like when people call this movie a rom com, I sort of don't. I, I don't know. know if it is. Like, genre kind of, fraud. Yeah, I like. I I was thinking. It's no rom. Yeah, I was thinking. Zero rom. Exactly. Exactly. I was thinking that it's like kind of like. I feel like I stole this joke from someone, but it's kind of like a coming of middle age story. Really perfect. But like that, the 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 show with the double door is such a perfect like rom com ending moment mm-hmm. uh, yeah like glorious i know it is it is a great movie for the movie that it's a great ending for the movie that this isn't uh but yeah and then like they like get back together yeah it's uh i don't know it's he produces the skate kids i know record. yeah, yeah. A lot top, of, that's was it like was that. it top five records i think is the name of the top five records yeah. is what he calls his label know, and I do, yeah again like it's again it's a night again i'm i'm a huge list person uh is any like yeah. if, if anyone who goes to my letterboxd page can attest to i make lists i've made lists of like my favorite movies going back to like 1990 or something uh <laughs> wow. um i'm a maniac uh but yeah and i love i love and went back when theater was a thing i would always like catalog like which plays i went to see and i would give them letter grades um but that's well, don't you get uh <laughs> didn't you get paid to write a listicle recently also 
Oh, I get paid to write listicles all the time. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, so I'm, I love a good passion into profession. Exactly. That's the American way right there. Something that I think is so funny though, Ben, is that like, I really think of you as someone who um, is so like focused on like appreci- appreciation and like joy in the art that you love. And it's, so it, 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 it is just interesting to see that like, or like to be reminded that like making lists because they're fun doesn't mean that you need to make lists in the way that Rob does. No, you know what no, I mean? And, and like, <laughs> like, no, and like, that's, that's the, th- yeah. yeah. And like, that's the thing. Like, I love, like, I like making lists and it's like, again, and I, I love like categorizing stuff and like categorizing art, even though art maybe shouldn't be categorized, but that's a story right. for another time. But <laughs> I'm also like, I, I'm also like not judgmental of like, oh, like, so, like, well, actually, no, if someone's favorite movie from last year was Hillbilly Elegy, I am going to maybe throw some judgment <laughs> their way. Right. But like, right. um, yeah, I, but I, yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I think there's something fun to it. I think there's something fun to sort of just like the way people categorize stuff. Um, there's sort of the, the methodology that people, that goes into sort of like why, why you think something goes. And yeah, like even like in my like top five, like, movies that i listed at the top of this episode like i bet tomorrow like maybe it'll be different like again right. these things aren't like set in stone as well and like no. that's like when they're like even talking like at the few of course they're making a fucking like they make a top five list as soon as they like talk about like laura's dad dying they're like oh, okay cool <laughs> uh top five songs about death it's like <laughs> so, jesus christ oh, y'all. My God. oh man so... i love what jack black sings though yeah, yeah. the night <laughs> laura's dad died <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah so yeah. Vagina's tough. <laughs> but yeah, so I think yeah, I think there is fun to 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 list making. I think there is fun to sort of that discussion of just like I mean that's I think like the fun thing about like year end movie like top ten or top twenty yeah. lists because it's like everyone's is going to be different and like maybe right. like and right. like I think there is something valuable to art curation like because it's again like and especially like people in. Uh, positions of like, oh, like here are twenty. Like you may have this like top twenty films, but I'm gonna like throw this thing in there, and like maybe you would like would have never known about it if I didn't throw it in this like random list that I pulled together. So I don't know. Um, those are my weird, complicated feelings on the curation and yeah, uh, categorization they, they can, of arts. They can be a way of of under of helping understand not only the art but actually yourself. Like it yeah. you can kind of it can help you think through what's important you can look for patterns in the lists you can look mm-hmm. at how they change over time like it actually can be like an emotionally intelligent and mature way of like um uh cat- categorizing i guess that it's setting yeah. things putting things well, together and again not to not to delve into cruelty or something negative because mm. i don't like mm. being negative on this podcast mm. even though sometimes it happens um Ooh. A musical you will never find in my top five favorite musicals. <laughs> uh, it's called. It's a little musical called High Fidelity uh, from the year uh, 2006. Uh, so yeah, we 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 talked at length about yeah. So this was uh, uh, written by again a returning favorite David Lindsay Abair, uh, who uh, you may remember from our Shrek episode. Uh, David wrote this book. Uh, a few years before Shrek, this I believe was his first book for a Broadway musical. His um, warm up. His <laughs> warm up. He, he gay. <laughs> the bottom layer of the parfait, if you will. <laughs> Outside layer of the onion. Ah, Brian, <laughs> ah, trying to team me up for something. I'm not going to deliver. Uh, that was season one. This season's all about onions. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but yeah, and then, so then we've got this uh, score by uh, L- Lyrics Amanda Green, uh, who we'll talk about in other episodes, including uh, Hands, on, Hands on a Hard Body, yeah. um, Bring It On. Uh, who, oh. Yeah, so she's, uh, I know, she's co- she collaborates with Tom Kitt on various occasions. Quite a lot, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Tom Kitt, uh, who was just warming up for Next to Normal in a few years. Um, and again, I mean, so yeah. As as uh the wor- as the heartbreaking worst man makes a good point, uh Ben Brantley uh referenced in that snippet of a review I mentioned, what, like an hour ago. Um uh Tom Kitt uh makes this attempt at the very musically eclectic score. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's pop, it's rock, it is uh appropriation of Indian music, it is uh <laughs> yeah. appropriation of hip hop, it is uh yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff all over the place. It's a weird country when it delves into stuff yeah. with why I love it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, a white a white ingenue doing an impression of Aretha Franklin. Just yeah. <laughs> incredible. Is the is yeah, I know, it's a weird. Um but yeah, it, it, right. It's it's fascinating to be like, all right, so we're gonna make this musical about people who are, have really uh, pedantic music opinions. <laughs> How, like, yeah, I feel like if you played this album <laughs> to the characters oh from God. the show, they'd be like. <gasps> fuck is this they kick you out of their shop yeah absolutely and i also do want to say like it's so funny what so like the movie's 2006 and this is uh, the movie's 2000 and this is 2006 and yeah like the the opening number is the last real record store on earth and it's like yo you gotta wait a few years that vinyl vinyl's gonna make a huge fucking comeback (laughs) seriously i know so funny i didn't think about that like vinyl is like back it's absolutely back sure absolutely uh, but he does, uh, of course, yeah, so he literally, Rob, like, starts off the show looking to the audience being like, this is a cassette tape. I bet you didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, okay, buddy. Oh. Um, but right, so like, but, I mean, that's, so maybe, okay, because I want to, like, delve into this, right? Maybe it is the fact that, like, you have this condescending character, and he's on a film, he's on a big old movie screen, or a big old right. TV, and they don't know you're there. They can't see you. But when you have this like condescending asshole right in front of you on a stage, it is probably like, hey, buddy, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, yeah, especially when it's not John Cusack. Yeah, especially right. when it's like Will Chase. Will Chase. Or like yeah. whatever, whatever random musical theater actor is hanging out in your city uh, ready yeah. to jump into this role. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you this? theory that i have about about musical musical adaptation specifically which is that like i think there's something in in most musical adaptations where emotions especially in like a musical that is like going to broadway like trying to be a commercial hit mm-hmm. um not i'm not talking about like a strange loop like which is like sure, the, sure, the, sure, sure. the sure. exception that proves the rule um i feel like musicals have a tendency to end up being like emotionally in primary colors whereas like movie movies will Mm. be in these like beautiful like pastels and muted tones that will have like every possible shade and then musicals will basically have like an axis that's like happy sad weeping screaming and that's it like and and so i feel like high fidelity the musical really suffers from that i feel like you don't 
because mm-hmm. the the act i mean well will has done a bunch of other stuff right i like so we'll, we'll actually, i was actually talking with uh past and future guest Catherine miller about this earlier mm. today uh that we were talking about like will chase's uh stage credits uh when i feel like in this is not like a one-to-one but whenever they are in the original cast of a new musical uh it's it's a flop uh so like they're in this they're in uh lennon a musical oh, about John yeah. Lennon. Yeah, uh, they're in a musical called the. They're in a musical called the Story of My Life, which was a two-person show uh, with oh. him and Malcolm Getz, which uh, ran for five performances on Broadway. <gasps> uh, and oh, I no. and I saw it twice. Uh, wow, <laughs> I love that show. That's uh, well, twice in a day, or how did you even pull that off? Well, like, I guess it, it, five official performances. It ran during previews. Uh, oh, like sure. it had like a bunch oh, of previews. Um, I, like yeah, I don't know when the hell I'm going to talk about this the story of my life is a two-person show uh written by brian hill and neil bartram and it uh, was on broadway directed by richard maltby jr it starred will chase uh and uh malcolm Getz. um and it is in my opinion a very charming musical that should have never been on broadway uh because oh it's it is, it is not based on anything it is uh <laughs> starring two musical theater actors uh it was dead in, dead on arrival uh, but oh, I think it is a it is a fine, charming piece of chamber musical theater that uh, was again just another another dead stone on he's uh, like, Will he's Chase's like a, resume. He's like a curse. Yeah, he's he's like he's bad luck. I know him from that Rent recording that he's on. Yes. Not the not the cast recording, but the video recording. He's in, I believe in. he was in the final cast of Rent. Yes, so. that's what it was. Is the final cast oh, version yeah. with Renee. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, with Renee Elise Goldsberg. Yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and again, like I will, I will say, like he's a he's a fine musical theater actor. I we yeah. we, we tend not to try and go into production specifics, uh, but but yeah, again, like I feel like just any actor is kind of doomed with this show, right? Like it's just totally. like the it's it's kind of just a doomed thing from the start. You have this character, yeah. This again, like reprehensible. And this, I don't think this is to say like you can't have reprehensible characters in theater. Again, like again, no, no, no veggie tales. Get your vegetables <laughs> right. out of here. Um, but again, it's like when that's the worldview. When that is like you're in this character's world. Um, right. That's well, where it kind of can can become tricky. I think literally when I was watching the musical, uh, when like the the lyric like my girl holds out my girl in place i was like done with the show like i was sure. like good night see ya like, yeah, the, the lyrics lyric, the lyrics aren't really graceful in this show yeah no. uh-uh. oh my god they're so hiroshima of the heart anyway. yeah oh, <laughs> oh no all the so... worst the worst lyric i can't even say it's that offensive yeah it's in, yeah. It's in the song she goes now please don't take this as mean hearted but are you on crack <laughs> oh. or just a, a word beginning with oh, r wow. a word beginning with r that rhymes with mean hearted so i missed that one awful 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 so yeah. like oh like so or and then the yeah there's the rap and there's like sensor beeps in the rap except for you hear him say fucker so like is he just saying are they bleeping the n-word like what oh, is he saying God. what oh, is God. going on there oh, then, oh, yeah that, that beeping the plate yeah I, do you know what I don't, I just, I don't, yeah, it's, it's really ugly. It's some really gross shit. Yeah. Uh, even, mm. and then, then the book as well, stuff like just like Ian, uh, it, during sex yelling, who's your Gandhi? Disgusting. Yeah, yeah, bye, yeah. Like, what the fuck? Disgusting. 
disgusting. Ay, ay, ay. So uh, bad. Nice. They, they, they're another renowned misogynist, Gandhi. You know, they had to bring him into it as well. <laughs> right. right. Again, this is another brilliant example of uh, a musical adaptation being more racist than its source yes. material. Imp- so impressive when they do that, really. Uh, we gotta, like, come up with a term for it, or we gotta have, like, a counter. We gotta, like, yeah, I don't know. We gotta, like, because this yes. keeps happening. Yep. This happened in- Well, have you ever heard of the term, like, taking the gay pipe? It's like whenever a, uh, like, a corporation during the month of June, like, Citibank will be like, here's your <laughs> rainbow colored uh, credit card from Citibank. We right. care about gay oh, pride. Well, totally. Well, did you see this? So, okay, I'm sorry to diverge. Did, oh, no. Uh, did you see the fucking hashtag woke CIA commercial that oh, came man. out recently? Yeah. Dude, that's the funniest shit I've seen in years. <laughs> I, like, so, I, saying I'm a, I'm a cisgender millennial with general anxiety disorder and I work for the CIA, <laughs> amazing. Just a be- like, amazing. Just a beautiful, <laughs> like, again, just like a beautiful, oh like, God, co-opting of, of liberal language yes. in just the worst yeah, totally. way possible. Yes. That's um, classic. Like, you know, they love to take the language of, like, academia and and like activism and just use it as a as a way to ingratiate themselves further with those people yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, something nothing surprising like something that i feel like this musical does twofold like to its disadvantage <laughs> is that like i i feel like probably someone has said this on the show before ben um so i apologize um no, let's find out but, okay but it's, <laughs> it's, i feel like um musical musical adaptations of movies set themselves up to fail when they invite direct direct comparison when it's like mm. oh let's cast an actor who looks and sounds exactly sure. like mm-hmm. the lead in the movie like except they're a nobody and like you and and like so this musical obviously like high fidelity is obviously doing that on the level that i would say mostly hugely for in the role of rob for john cusack putting any musical theater actor up against john cusack without the benefit of the intimacy of film, huge disadvantage, yeah. right? But then the musical also is invoking direct comparison of the literal songs, as we've talked about. Yeah. And so, so like, if, for instance, like the last, or the second to last song in the show, which is, which is a great song, like Turn the World Off and Turn You On, is mm-hmm. basically the, like, it, it, it literally feels like it is as, close to let's get it I on which is a song yes. movie, as legally possible like it is literally like porpsy like it is like such a like i can't be- i can't imagine it's not margarine it is like so close <laughs> to that song <laughs> in such a way that just makes you wish you were listening to the actual song and the the whole musical kind of like Keeps really suffers that. from that, I think. Yeah, there's yeah. that Bruce Springsteen one too. With yes. It's got like harmonica, and then it's got like the the bells and the uh, yes. the horns and everything. And boy, what a bad Springsteen impression! Whoever is on the original cast recording, I'm sorry, but it's really bad. Yeah, he's not yeah. from the South, y'all. I, he, no, he's it, not from it, the yeah. South. No, um, no, famously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty, yeah what, what is it yeah no 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 um gosh wait no and i will you know i will i will give one 
I will give like one uh, pity like crumb to that song. Goodbye and good luck. The fake Bruce Springsteen song. I <laughs> do. I do like the like the faux Springsteen lyric. Why don't you call them like the ghosts that roam the main street of the steel town where the plants been closed <laughs> yeah. since Veterans awesome. Day? Like that, that, yeah, that's that's funny. Funny. like that one paragraph of a. Uh, of of that song, I was like, okay, I like that's yes. that's from another musical that I would probably enjoy. Uh, yes. that, there's something going on there. And the riff of "Last Real Record Store on Earth" has been stuck in my head for like weeks. That, that no, was like, great. Those Tom Kit, like some of his little melodies, like really like will like sound lovely and and our earworms and yeah so there's, there's some great. there's definitely some mu- some mute i would say i prefer the music than the lyrics in the show i would say like Absolutely. there are some songs musically that yeah are pretty catchy pretty fun lost real record stores is, is an example of that uh even nine percent chance the act one finale yeah. is a little yeah. bit of ex- um and, and, yeah again this is another show that's like struggling with tone right like so yeah. like a, a, for a good example of this is ready to settle which is the yeah. Marie the Marie de Salle <laughs> song that she sings, and what, what yeah. I someone remind me what is the song that she actually sings in the original film? She sings a it's cover. Peter Frampton. Yeah, yeah. She's a Peter Frampton. And so cover. yeah, so I guess it's supposed to be again like it, like the turn the world off is a let's get it on pastiche. This is I guess maybe a Peter Frampton pastiche, but like mm. lyrically it's like so jokey, right? It's like it's literally yeah. it's like her singing about like well I guess let's just settle for each other, like it's a clearly just like a joke love song um and it's like okay so like what are we supposed to do with so that which is it yeah, yeah. like is right. this because the whole point in the movie is that like he is like peter frampton i roll but then he goes in and he's like oh wait actually i'm super into this because i'm not only attracted to this person but i think they're doing something interesting with this song yeah he like right. fall, so like, what is it yeah, he he like falls in love like yeah he like he's like oh this like really like I'm really attracted to this person singing the song that I didn't think I'd like but now she's singing a song that is like clearly a joke so like why would he fall in like it's again like it's so confused about the messaging mm-hmm. of like what it wants to be yes. um it uh, blah 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 uh, but yes Ian uh is yeah so I don't know I'm just I'm reading through notes here uh, Ian is just uh. A, a terrible character who's just again Game like over. just just com- again, like so going back to your point before beth about and yeah i think it's it is a th- your point about sort of like the complete broadening uh and the complete uh sort of primary color notion of broadway musical adaptations i feel it's something that we've sort of i think like that's i don't think we've sort of hit it on the head as much as you did when you were talking about it. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we're thinking about like, right, like especially musicals for Broadway. Like if we think of Broadway as sort of like the blockbuster filmmaking of the theater world, right? So it's like, oh, you're trying to make something for the broadest audience possible without any sort of sense of subtlety to it. So yeah, so Ian becomes, uh, who is just like, yeah, kind of a weird sort of like (laughs) new agey white dude in the film. Now like has fucking like sitar in every single one of his songs makes these dumb like oh i'm gonna get some like kale burger like those kind of dumb oh. fucking mid-2000s jokes that have like aged like a kale burger yeah. um <laughs> yeah it also it also exacerbates a problem which i would say is already there in the movie but it, it's way worse in the musical which i like am thinking of in my head as the forgetting sarah marshall problem okay which is if uh, it, like it, 
if you show that this female character who is supposed to be in the, in the musical, she's literally a lawyer. Like she's supposed to be this brilliant, accomplished woman. And she is, and she is into and infatuated with a guy who is obviously the worst and stupidest person to ever live. And then what does that make you think of that woman? Like you must, you like the kind of the conclusion you can draw is either like, this man has like ensorcelled her in some way or like she's kind of a dope (laughs) like because how could so like in the movie it's like it's much more borderline like you could reasonably see like how someone could be into Tim Robbins but in the musical it's like oh my god like this guy is is a menace like yeah I don't I don't yeah I don't understand to get away from him yeah I don't understand why anyone would be with this person in the musical makes no sense yeah Mm. Yeah. Um. Is Rob? So yeah. So going back to this sort of like, is, is Rob like more cartoonishly pathetic in this in the stage adaptation? Something, right? Than he like, is. I... I feel like again, like I referenced again. Maybe it's just again the broadening of it, right? Like we referenced earlier, sort of these characters who are like pretending that they don't care when they actually care a lot. I feel like that duality is so much more obvious. And like I said, pathetic in the stage adaptation. Um, yes. Yeah. Look, I, went, I don't know. <laughs> I looked at a bunch of or a couple reviews of this fairly recent production of the musical in the UK, where actually they readapted the musical back to being set in London. Oh my god! <laughs> they, like, well, because right, that's <laughs> that's the thing. Because like the musical, I believe, is set in Brooklyn, but like there's Brooklyn, no yes. sense of that identity on stage. I don't think no, they ever say anything either. It's no. just no in the stage directions. No. It's just like this right. is a Broadway so, musical, so this is set in New York. <laughs> exactly. So I, I I looked at some of these reviews and I like felt like a little bit vindicated or like. You know, I was like, okay, I'm not being like a complete like killjoy um, scold, basically. Because and like review after review was like, Rob is so creepy. What is going on? <laughs> like they were like, I don't know if it was this way in the movie, and I don't remember, or like if it's. I think it's. I think it's a little bit of a both and. I think it is like. Sure. I think I think some of Rob's behavior in the movie is creepy too, and because it's yeah. John Cusack, we're like, "Love you, Marcus." Like, but in the <laughs> musical, I think we don't have that person like charming us in that way. But I, so I do think it's also like our understanding of like what is and is not okay behavior in a relationship has like gotten a little more sophisticated since two thousand. But like, yeah, sure. man, he comes off as a creep. Oh, in the musical, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, but I feel like all of the characters are flattened. Like, because like, what what songs does Laura have? Oh my god, in the show, she's, uh, what, like, like does she classic... actually actually does she? It's the only the number five with a bullet. Yeah, I guess yes. number five with a bullet. But like, that's that's her with that's, uh other characters that's like the fantasy that's like yeah they, they say it that's like i think that's kind of a fun device actually but that's like rob's fantasy or like dream version of laura she sure. just has yeah. that one like wet noodle ass song oh, the, that's the, the literally I slept, like the I, it's uh, i slept no, with someone okay. no she has that, that one but no tired is like <laughs> literally it's oh, too tired oh that's a bonus track that was cut from the show that's no. cut yeah yeah Oh my god, she doesn't I mean yeah, tired. She has no she has no 
So, okay, the only solo number she had is a reprise of a song that Rob had just yeah, sang just right that's... before. <laughs> so, like, again, so, like, in the, so, like, looking at, like, and you're right, like, you would think that, like, the position for her song would be where Laura Laura goes, like, the song, like, yeah. right after, yeah. right at the funeral. You think she would maybe have a song to, like, provide her perspective on things, but she doesn't! No. Arguably, Liz has more music yes! to sing. Than I was Laura just going to say that Liz is truly like a better part in the show than Laura. Like, yeah. really wild. I know. So, I like that, it. like that sucks. Yes, it does. Suck. I will say, Will Chase, incredible Ben Folds impression on uh, <laughs> on uh, Laura. Laura, I was like. That sounds just like that. Good for him. <laughs> like, I didn't think about that. That's pretty funny. He also, like, I, just like him. I also feel like structurally this musical's weird because, yeah, like, obviously, so it's a two-act musical because I don't know, whatever. It's on Broadway. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah. but like the like the way the place where they like choose to like end the act is weird, right? Yes. It feels like such like a drum because again, it's just like such a dramatic nothing point. It's like yeah. she has he has like this point where he's like, oh, I'm so hopeful, like I have a nine percent chance of getting back together with her, but I'm gonna go sleep with uh, with Mary. It's like right, okay, why do we need a break? Where's the dramatic? Mm. Where where's the dramatic like? I don't know, like where? Why am I? It's like why a, it's why should I parent. stay for Act Two? Yeah, exactly. Sure. That that doesn't end up being important. Like it, there, it, it has no impact really on the rest of yeah. the story. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of how the movie is too. It's not really a three act movie. No. It just sort no. of continues onward. That's the so. thing. It just it's sure. all, it flows uh, in, yes. a, in, yeah. a, in, a, in an interesting way. Um, yeah. But yeah, I will say in that who I slept with someone <laughs> sure. uh, who slept with Lyle Lovett. <laughs> He says he makes a reference. I only uh, this is this is some Oklahoma coming out of me, I guess. Yeah. But he makes a reference to take this job and shove it, which is not a song by Lyle Lovett. It's by oh, David no. Allen Coe, which <laughs> such a pedantic music nerd would absolutely know. Cool. Already, you Amanda know? Green Amanda? out. Get Amanda, out of here. You're out. <laughs> Give credit to Johnny Paycheck. <laughs> Um, I, I do. So the thing is, like, there is this device in the musical where the five ex-girlfriends are these, like, backup singers at certain mm -hmm. points. But, like, so it's like, yeah, that's a fun device. I get it. Yeah. That's cool. But also, like... But that that's it. Like you, like there's they show up for like goodbye and good luck, like for like two lines during these phone calls that last like two seconds. But like that's it. Like there's nothing. Like yeah, like all these female the female characters are flattened even more, even more. in this. Yeah, it's at least a whole sequence in the movie. Yes, right. It would have been cool to have them do a backup number with Laura, like as as she's like potentially like when she's still with Ian and is like deciding, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of kind of like a, like, uh, I would say I'm in love from Hercules, like that kind sure. of thing sure. where she's sort of working through it. Like, yeah, you, you really could have done a lot more fun stuff with them and you could have used them to help develop the female characters more, but they were like, mm, no, <laughs> no thanks. Right. Also. Yeah. Of course, fucking Rob makes, uh, this interaction with Marie all about the fact that she slept with Lyle Lovett. Like Jesus mm. Christ. What a weirdo. What a fucking, what a... He's so concerned in the movie and the musical with who other people are sleeping with. I know. It's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> 
weird American Puritanism bullshit. Yeah, but then also, yeah, then you've got this the most pathetic man in the world character who, yeah, so I guess it's a character who's sort of more fleshed out in the book. And from what I've read, he shows up maybe once or twice in the book. Like, he isn't, like, a recurring character like he is in this right. stage show. And they're, like, there's, like, one moment where they refer to him as his initials. They're, like, yes, shut like up! T-M-P-I-T-M- <laughs> yeah, shut up, T-M-P-M-I-T-W-X-Y-Z! <laughs> like, it's, like, that sounds, it's so fucking awkward. What a fucking right. and, awkward uh, thing. And they shoehorn, shoehorn him in so such that Rob can do almost like a gift of the magi like growing up gesture <laughs> yeah. by being like laura it's me knock knock i sold all my records just like you want because you're no fun can you take <laughs> me back and she's like oh my god yeah <laughs> like, which like well uh, well i will say i do like any attempt at ro- showing that Rob is actually maturing. Sure, that's yeah. A, that's such a, like, funny, like, misread of what needs to happen. It's like, yeah. no, Rob, the problem isn't that you like records. Like, the problem is that <laughs> yeah. you're, you're emotionally nine years old. Like, that yeah. is the problem. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was, I don't know why. I, like, I was most excited about this conversation, but part of me was just like, this show's fucking nothing. It's not, yeah. it's not good enough to pray. It's not bad enough to shit on. It's just, it's, it's no. such, like I said, it's such a nothing burger of a thing. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, I, I'm kind of thrilled. I, I love what we've talked about and I love the directions we've gone in, but I'm also like thrilled to never think about this musical ever <laughs> again. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited, honestly, to revisit the film. I am. I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah. curious to sort of like rewatch it at another point. Again, removed from the concept, of, context of how it was adapted for the stage. Um, for sure. Uh, and maybe it's... And there's, I mean, back in the before times and maybe post-pandemic, like, are, are there, like, Chicago tours? Are there, like, like you know, in New York, you have, like, Sex in the City tours? Are there, like, high-fidelity <laughs> tours? Or anything like that? This is the blue line. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Armitage brown line stuff. <laughs> this I is would, the music would, box. Yeah. I yeah. would lead one of those tours. I would be yeah. up on, like, a, like a, basically, like, a 12-person passenger van, like, sticking my head out of the top. <laughs> They would be canceled due to low interest. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if you like High Fidelity, just watch the movie, watch the TV show, read read a fucking book. I don't know. Like, go to Reckless Records. Somebody there will yell at you, just like in the movie. Right. Yeah. Luckily, luckily Tom Kit has graced us with so much better work than this, and we can enjoy his beautiful hooks in other more worthy shows. <laughs> yeah, listen, and David Lindsay Bear learns uh, to use the copy-paste tool in a beautiful way in this next musical theater adaptation. So... <laughs> Uh, this one too. Yeah, a little bit. Again, like again, like they they fl- I feel like they flatten the book a little more. They flatten the script out a little more in this than they do in Shrek. Shrek is Shrek. Shrek is love. Shrek, Shrek is life. Shrek uh, is Shrek. Period. <laughs> End of story. Oh my gosh! High fidelity. Low low score in my book. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm losing my mind the more I talk about the show. Um, so let's not. Instead, uh, let's make a graceful pivot. So Beth Highland, um, yes. at at the end of every episode of Movie the Musical, we ask our guests a very important question. So Beth, yes. if you could adapt 
any movie into a musical that has not already been adapted, what movie would you choose? Okay. Can I give an answer? Well, I'm going to anyway, but I'm asking to, to pretend to be polite. <laughs> can, I, can I give an answer where there has been discussion of it being adapted, but it has not happened yet? Does that count? Is, is that okay? <sighs> give your answer and then I'll let you know. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> the answer is probably adapt. yes, but go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I would adapt. A League of Their Own, which sure. I think oh, would, there, there has been scuttlebutt about that being adapted, I believe, by Jason Robert Brown. Ooh, I don't know why. Worst, worst um, choice. Worst no. choice to adapt that. Because no way. Uh, he loves ever humor, ever doesn't he? <laughs> He's such a hilarious, like, warm person to oh adapt a lovely movie like that. Sir, by a Santa, a laugh riot. Okay, no. I'm, just, I'm, just, honest, I'm, just, I'm just disgusted at the fact that, like, you would even think of of not getting a female composer to do that show but whatever incredible Um, okay so no so they're gonna they what they're gonna do is they're gonna fire jason and they're gonna hire me because i think a league of their own is a movie with the soul of a musical i think it basically is a musical already i think it's structured like a musical i think the uh it has like such an incredibly beautiful like traditional like blockbuster musical arc like I, I truly don't think you would like really have to do much of anything to adapt it the sister and then like not, not to mention the song that's already in the movie is like the emotional have you guys seen it have you seen oh, League of oh, yeah. oh okay, yeah okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, cr- i cry <laughs> as soon as they get as soon as they get to that museum at the end just tears i literally i was thinking about this earlier and i was thinking about the song and i was tearing up like it has the song the song is already the emotional heart of the movie. It has dance sequences with starring Madonna sure. all the way May. Um, mm-hmm. it, and, and I would also, like, this goes back to my point earlier, it is already a movie with such kind of big, bold, primary color emotions that nothing sure. would be lost in translating those to the stage. The sister relationship is so gorgeous and special. The yeah. Dottie and Kit of it all. And then... Uh, obviously incredible parts for women and the song opportunities present themselves gracefully and grandly kit and dotty's duet about about this is my other daughter dotty's sister that then comes back at the end marla hooch's theme uh (laughs) all the way may doing like a kiss of the spider woman introduction a tender duet between Dottie and Bill Paxton, mm-hmm. like a sexy, funny patter song between Dottie and Tom Hanks. And then obviously also a part for a horrible child actor to be Stillwell Angel. Like everything, <laughs> everything is there. Gosh. I am dying to, I please God in heaven and also the producers of Broadway <laughs> hire me, Red Island, to write this musical. <laughs> I want oh it gosh. so much. And cast me uh, as the John Lovitz character. What a hitter. I'll be Marla Hooch. That sounds good. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Into it. Uh, no, man, I love A League of Their Own. I think oh, it is a, a gorgeous film. Uh, I love it. Classic. Penny Marshall, right? It's Penny Marshall. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Wonderful. Mad- you got Madonna. You got Gina Rosie. Davis. Uh, Rosie. Rosie. 
sorry i guess danielle can hear me from outside and she just texted oh. she just texted oh my god yes because i know she loves that movie <laughs> yes, <Danielle. laughs> there okay. is no there's no crying in baseball but there is crying in musical theater i can tell you exactly that. <laughs> okay i i'm jotting jackalope down as the producing entity i look forward to the debut in the armory uh auditions to be posted on theaterinchicago.com on zoom on monday let's do it thanks danielle uh no that is not gonna happen just on the record uh um we love to see it um beth thank you so oh, much blast. Oh, for my gosh. being here for exploring this very strange uh uh movie slash uh stage show uh is there anything this is coming out what like end of may beginning of june mm. uh i believe is there anything uh that you would like to plug mm. um i the sound is uh we will watch 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 this space for an announcement from um my theater company, The Sound, uh, for something potentially happening late summer, early fall. Um, mm, all right. If, the, if that scary. is out, I mean, whatever that's out, we'll promote that wherever we promote things. But Amazing. Yes. And then I, I'm going to be making uh, my first short film uh, in actually like just a couple weeks. Um, and so watch this space in like nine months <laughs> but, uh, to uh, awesome. watch it. Yeah, for very, that baby, for that baby that. film to be born. Uh, yeah, exactly to be birthed. <laughs> oh, amazing, yeah. Beth. We'll we'll have you back on. It was so lovely to have you here. Oh my god, here. please! <laughs> what an absolute delight. Thank you both so much. Oh my gosh, thank you. Um, as always, I want to thank Brand Moorhead for producing and editing the show. I want to thank every one of you out there for listening. Yeah, you. I'm going back into my Rob Gordon directed <laughs> dress for this end tag. Uh. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't know. Who, who cares? Uh, thank you. I want to thank Emily Harrington for our artwork, uh, M. Modaf and Josh Stanley for our theme song. Um, if you like the show, if we are in your top five favorite musical theater podcasts, be sure to rate us, review <laughs> us, and subscribe for future episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Movie the Musical. And of course, we also have a Patreon. So if you want to support the pe- podcast, Get some sweet bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash movie the musical and consider becoming a monthly member for as low as $3 a month. We are covering musical to film adaptations. We're going in the opposite order. Um, We talk about Sound of Music. We talk about West Side Story. We talk about Sweeney Todd. We talk about episodes like that we've already covered on the main feed that were adapted back into films like Little Shop of Horrors and The Producers. It is a wild time over there. Um, But yeah, thank you again. And keep on singing, (laughs) y'all.